It's Sunday, April 26th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week, the two Ps in the podcast will react to the first episodes of The Last Dance on ESPN. The results of the investigation into the Boston Red Sox sign-stealing activities have been released. We look back on the career of Steve Carlton. There will be pro baseball played in 2020 in Taiwan and South Korea. The Tigers and the Rockies show that it isn't always about the bottom line. J-Lo and A-Rod are trying to buy the New York Mets. Tom and I will each share a Wrigley Field memory. And our classic movie discussion is on Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddle. Tom, let me begin by wishing you a happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're 29? Yeah. I was once, yes. That was a very good year as well. <laughs> How did you celebrate your birthday? Um, well, uh, well, you know, self-quarantined by right. you know taking the dog for a walk, <laughs> and oh, uh, and my 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 wife really did a great job. She she Tom Fest this for this birthday actually began on Thursday on my actual birthday, and it's been going on all weekend long. All oh. the meals are like catered to whatever, whatever I desire. She, but she always does a tremendous job. But this particular night, she got, uh, she went across the street to Angry Crab, which is just a tremendous uh, uh, place. If you haven't been there, you should take uh, your wife there. And what is uh, this? Uh, Asian restaurant? It's 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 Asian owned, but it's um, crawfish. It's all fish that's it's kind of cooked in a Louisiana hot sauce oh, way. It's wow. really quite good. They throw uh, half ears of corn in the bag, scallops. It's just a whole bunch of fish that's just yummy goodness, my friend. Where Where is it located exactly? Is it it's, right there in Lincoln? Or? Yeah, it's like about 5,700 Lincoln. It's right across the street from where I live, literally. Okay. Uh, so I had a very nice birthday. Thank you for asking. Yeah. And, and I, I will share... Uh, speaking of birthdays, when we talk about our favorite Cubs Wrigley moment, it happened on my birthday. So uh, that's right. a teaser for later in the show for our listener to make sure you listen to the whole show this week. We know Sounds good. All right. Um, we, we do want to recognize that uh, the, the whatever, the dictator of South Korea, Kim Jong-un, he may be dead. Uh, and if yeah. he's not dead, he's not doing well. Yeah. No, he, he's no, he is he is not doing well, and um, I don't know what's going to go on there. It seems to me that it appears that he's in a, some sort of vegetative state. Uh, they've they've summoned uh, Chinese experts, which says something about North Korea. Yeah. When you have to have another country come in and take and take care of your president, because quite honestly, you don't have the, the ability. You've got nuclear weapons, but you don't have the medical ability to take care of someone that's in a vegetative state. And he's never yeah, going to no, get, uh, get out of it. Well, and the speculation is, is as to who may replace him, that his younger sister may right. actually be, uh, may have the, is the best bet to, uh, to continue in his absence. Well, you know, um, and this will be a beautiful segue. Dennis Rodman has uh, thrown his uh, hat into the ring, his large hat. I think it's a size eight. Dennis Rodman would be perfect for North Korea. He, he would be. He yeah. would be. I like the unpredictability. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's almost Trumpian, but in a good way. But in a good way. And speaking of Dennis Rodman, have you been right. watching ESPN's last uh, dance documentary? 
Have you been uh, checking that out? I oh, saw the well, first two episodes last week. I wouldn't miss it. I, it was fantastic. It was it really great was. to go down memory lane. It, you know, you and I have a different perspective, I think, because we lived through it and kind of lived, at least in both of our cases, blow by blow of all those games. And certainly Absolutely. the last year, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I don't think I missed a minute. We, we all kind of knew it was coming to an end one yeah. way or another. Um, but but it, 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 so far, so good. Um, I just the interesting thing to me is that look that Jordan gives the the underling players on his team when they when they fuck up. And that, that is worth, worth the price of admission. It really is. You don't want to get that look. My mother used to have that look, by the way. And and Jordan was not an easy guy to get along with. But, no. but I will say, you know, he, he only cared about winning. That is the only thing he was concerned Correct. with. To this yeah. day, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're playing Tiddlywinks. He's yeah. going to try to beat you. Oh, yeah. No, I, he I, does, I, if he doesn't, he'll, a, he'll stay behind a, for eight hours and practice Tiddlywinks. Yeah. Like that, he's one of those kind of guys, man. He's yeah, very. He really is, and you know, he may not always make uh, the best friend you might have. Right, right. But uh, but he certainly is uh, great at anything he tries to do. I read an article in a blog about uh, a guy who played pool with him. He yeah. was a guy who covered the Bulls as a reporter. Then he ran into him at a at a basketball camp in Fresno that he was doing for a friend of his, and. Uh, they ran into each other at this bar and he challenged Jordan to play pool with him and, and he beat him like five straight playing 40 a game. So we're double or nothing before Jordan pulled up. He's like, you're too good for me, man. And, and Jordan was pissed. So, well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. If you've ever known anybody that has, has that competitive fire, it, it, it almost never leaves you. It's just, you, you're, you're almost, you're either born with it or you're not. It's, it's been my observation. Yeah. Yeah. And and he he had it. I mean, he 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 had it. He went back for seconds when they gave it out. You know, when they gave out competitive spirit, he uh, he was the best I ever saw. And, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and again, I said this last week. Anybody who thinks that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan is out of their fucking mind. <laughs> but but I will say something I heard very. Le- interesting. LeBron is awfully good. I don't oh. think you disrespect, but he's not Michael Jordan. I would agree he's with you. Not, he's but not. he's awfully good. He's the best player of this good. generation, but there's reminds no way. Me a lot of myself. There's no it, way. It you always know, except talent and looks. <laughs> I, I read something, or actually I heard something on the radio. I, I, I'm kind of pissed. I can't remember who it was, but somebody was being interviewed about the last dance. And uh, the year that uh, LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers won their NBA title, bringing the first title to Cleveland in I don't know how long, kind of the – crown jewel on LeBron's 50 career. 50 years, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and sort of his his really, his biggest moment as a pro. Um, and it was his, I, what was it, his third championship in, in four or five years or something? Something like that, yeah. And he was getting all these accolades, like now we have to say that LeBron is among the great, you know, that the day they held their parade is the day that Jordan green light, green lit this project. He called yeah. his agent and said, go ahead and do it. Because he wanted to remind people, I think, a yeah. new generation of just how great he was. That says a lot about Michael Jordan. But, I, but I'm going to remind you that that win that Cleveland did over a far superior basketball team than Cleveland was. The Golden State Warriors were the finest team in basketball. And if I'm not mistaken, 
they may have had the record wins that year. Even they did. They had 73 than, wins. Than the Bulls. And the difference between, this is why I think you can't diminish LeBron James is because if you think about it, I never felt, and we watched every Jordan game, that 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 they that the the opposing team was ever better than the Bulls ever. Yeah. Not yeah. not one time. So the idea that LeBron beat this team that generally considered a better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers, they were down three games to one, if I'm not mistaken, and they came back and and, and swept them out. They were down three games to one. They they kind of baited what's his name Draymond Green in yeah the- yeah. Yep. into doing something bad. I, I well, taking it, really poor shot selection. It, it, yeah. it, uh, they, they just, they want it. I mean, there's yeah. no way of saying it. That's why I'm saying, yes, Jordan is the greatest of all time, but LeBron's damn good, buddy. Oh, oh yeah, there's no question about that. Did you read the uh, Terry Francona piece about uh, yeah. Michael Jordan? Uh, how the Terry, they called, you know, with this whole thing going on with the documentary, everybody's, anybody who's had any connection with Jordan right. is being is being contacted. And, Terry Francona, who's the current uh, manager of the Cleveland Indians, right. he managed Michael Jordan in the uh, in the minor leagues. I think it was for the Birmingham Barons, if I'm not mistaken. And and he managed them in the fall league too. Yeah. So he managed them twice actually. And he said, you know, he was a better basketball player than he was a baseball player. Right. But the thing that made Jordan kind of interesting to have as a player is that he was so willing to be coached. Yeah. He was so willing to do whatever it took to be better, you know? Well, he knew he wasn't the best at baseball. No, he that's knew right. That. And, and, and I think that that was important for him, you know, because he spent his entire career being the undisputed best. And for him to take a year, year and a half to play a little baseball, a sport he loves, but uh, a sport he may be good at, but he's not the best, you know, it's a different state of mind. And uh, I thought that was good that he did it. And uh, I, I, I used to kind of be upset that he was taken away from us for two years to, to go play baseball, to right. indulge this fantasy. Why isn't he out there trying to win championships? Maybe he would have won eight in a row. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's possible. But, you know. There was always a theory that, <clears throat> which was ridiculous and unfounded. These can, can, it's like these these Fox, uh, Fox News conspiracy, conspiracy guys that Jordan – had to leave basketball over some gambling issue. I mean, you remember those rumors? I do, I do, that he was, was totally was kind of an unannounced suspension, yeah. Right. Francona kind of debunks that. There's no way that a guy like Jordan worth that amount of millions of dollars would ever say, I'm going to spend two years trying to do something that might look me, make, might make me look bad, quite honestly, and my image. So I thought that was kind of you know, that it debunked that. The other thing I thought was interesting was that Francona apparently after the show reached out to, to one of Jordan's inner circles to say, hey, am I going to even be on the last dance? And the guy goes, hey, yeah, you're going to get your 15 seconds of fame, not a second more. Man, that's that's right. He didn't get very much. Uh, it'll be coming up, I guess. And, but All right, so- but fi- finally, one last thing is that at one point um, – Jordan and the coaches played basketball against some of the other players on the team. Now, this right. is a great story because yeah. it went down to the wire and Francona took took the last shot, a three-pointer, and missed. And Jordan's like, man, I always take the last shot. I, and he was pissed about it. Well, he was pissed. He was, pissed. He was yeah. pissed, but he just kind of had that half smirk, yeah. you know. 
Look, I always say, yeah, that's right. I always shoot last, Terry. That's right. Oh, hey, before we get into the baseball stuff, too, I want to mention, uh, tell the readers or tell the listeners that there's a good movie out there on Netflix if you want to check it out. Saw it last night. It's called Extraction with Chris Hemsworth, uh, a, a kid. He's the son of an Indian drug dealer, is kidnapped by a Bangladesh a Bangladeshi drug dealer, and Hemsworth has to go in. He's a one-man wrecking crew, and he's got to get this kid out of uh, Bangladesh. And he basically carves a bloody swath through, you know, one of the poorest countries in the world. It was really, really interesting. The movie was directed by a guy who's a former stuntman. So all of the stunts, everything was so creatively done, just in ways I'd never seen before. And when a movie can kind of show you something different, I really enjoy that. So this was good. It's good to know. I'll have to check it out. All right. And whenever you mention Stuntman, I think of Rick fucking Dalton. Rick fucking Dalton. That's right. That's right. All right. So uh, let's get into it. Um, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred released the results of the investigation into the Boston Red Sox sign-stealing scandal. And uh, basically, the Red Sox get off kind of light. Yeah, no doubt. Don't you think? I mean, they got, they didn't get nearly the punishment, <clears throat> excuse me, the Astros did. In the first place, no one in the front office uh, received a suspension. Um, Alex Cora was suspended for a year, but that was because of what he did when he was with the Asterix. Um, they did lose a second round draft pick. They didn't lose any money, but the real kind of, I think, scapegoat in this whole thing is the... Um, is the clubhouse, not the clubhouse, but the video room operator, a guy by the name of J.T. Watkins. He yeah. was suspended for a year, and then for the following, for the subsequent year, he's not allowed to work in the video replay room. So right. he's kind of been Including hung the with, playoffs. Yeah, including the playoffs, exactly. And he's sort of been hung, I think, with the responsibility in all of this. At least he's the one who's receiving the most serious punishment. And my question to you, Tom, is, is that fair? You, it, know? It, I, you know, fair, it, it's an interesting question whether it's fair or not. It, it, when I look at this story, it appears as though the Red Sox responded to the inquiry, the, the criminal inquiry, if you will, differently than Houston did. It appears as though some folks in Boston gave conflicting answers about certain things. And I think it put baseball in a difficult position to try to adjudicate and, and mete out the proper punishment. Yes, Watkins was made to be a scapegoat. There's no way that he was updating the data, basically what they said in game, which is forbidden, illegal. Um, and, and that was the crime that he was doing. The, the, he, he was just like the guy in Houston. He compiled a data sheet but he was updating it in real time, and, and that's not allowed. And so, um, you know, I, I think that Cora, there's no way that these players didn't know what was going on. There's, there's just no way. And so to put it all on Watkins' back seems disingenuous, disingenuous, but it also, and seems unfair to a certain degree, but it also speaks to how I think Boston handled this versus how Houston handled it. It appears yeah. as though Boston kind of played the, oh, he did it, he did it. Everyone's pointing the finger at everybody else, and no one took responsibility. And in the, in the meantime, baseball can't figure out who's to blame. That's what I think. Well, I, I think that, you know, the report was very specific that the Red Sox were only stealing and reeling signs 
when they had a runner on second base. Right. Second or third. Second or third. Second or third. And and I have to tell you, I think that that's nonsense. I I, I don't buy it. I don't okay. buy it. You can't parse out cheating. Cheating yeah. is cheating. You can't parse it out. I, it, I, it's impossible. And I'll also say that there are two base coaches on the field, and they could very easily, if they can relay signs to a runner, they can relay them to a base coach, and all the hitter has to do if he's right-handed is just look down the line, or if he's left-handed, look down the left field line. And that guy's right in his sight, and it's hands on the hips for a fastball, you know what I mean? Hands like this for a curveball or whatever. You know what I mean? They they absolutely could have done it. And if you look at that Red Sox team, they scored with two outs better than anybody. They hit Correct. with two outs. That I ever saw. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was. It we actually was talked about it when it was happening, that there was a couple of instances like it's like it's almost like they do know what's going on. And yeah. so it, it just seems to me that the punishment was all that they could pin on them. Which makes me think, well, Boston did a pretty good job of, of stonewalling them when it came to uh, being forthright about what actually happened. That's what I think. Well, certainly better than the um, than the asterisks. And and the right. issue too, I guess, the way that, that that Major League Baseball sort of differentiates the two situations is that you know the Astros were much more I don't know it was much more of an overall conspiracy that permeated the entire organization. You know they were everybody was kind of complicit in this. All the hitters were sort of getting this. And, you know, this was sort of a a conspiracy that went on perhaps for more than a single year. Whereas the Red Sox, they sort of say, well, they did it intermittently. They shouldn't have done it. They didn't do it during the World Series. So the Dodgers can at least take comfort in the fact that they want that they lost in by legitimate means. But I still, right. you know, I, I, it's not good. It's not good for baseball that any of this happens. And they have to find a way to put a stop to it. And the players need to be the ones to do it. Well, and, you know, in all honesty, I think this is one of the ways that they're putting a stop to it. Because what's, what they're trying to do is sweep it under the rug and just say, okay, we're done, you know, uh, handing out punishment for this stuff. And no one's going to be stupid enough to do it again, or at least not overtly um so um we're good i'll bet bet you that's what they're thinking is on it because it's not going to happen again that we're all going to know of or everyone's going to do it's 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 either like it's going to completely disappear or it's going to get worse you know as hunter thompson would say (laughs) i i I think they're naive you know however they're naive if they think it's just going to go away because it's not you know well gaining an edge will never die Someone, yeah. someone will always be thinking about gaining an edge. It's just, when do you go to the dark side? Houston went to the dark side. And they did it in such almost a comical, banging a garbage can? Are you serious? That's, uh, wow, that's cutting edge. They, they, they banged a garbage can. I think they had a light in the outfield. Right. They had buzzers on the I, I'm just using that as an example. Like, they, yeah. they were just kind of dumb. Uh, it seems like Boston was a little bit more sophisticated in their cheating. Less cheating is cheating. Cheating is cheating. And, and you know, I, I'm not happy about it. But in the face of the coronavirus pandemic, honestly, it doesn't matter a whole no, lot. No, no. You know, because no. we may not see baseball in this country for another year. You know, or or it, may, it may never be this, the way we saw it, too. Yeah. We have to take that into consideration that, you know, I was talking about this yesterday, that, 
you know, this is almost worse than uh, this. What it reminds me is if, if there was like a nuclear fallout, we'd all be like sectioned away in some fallout shelter or whatever. That's the only thing worse than this. But this is almost worse than nuclear because nuclear is a time and place and it goes away ultimately. This seems to be now they're saying people that are catching this disease and are cured can recatch it. Uh, you know, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just bar the door. Yeah. And by the way, um, just a last little note, we want to mention that Ron Renneke uh, was yeah. the interim tag was taken off of his name or taken off of his title. He's no longer the interim manager of the Red Sox. But what's interesting is that the suspension of Cora runs this year. He's suspended for the 2020 season. The Red Sox could bring him back as manager. Right. And by all right. accounts, he was extremely cooperative with the investigation. So he gave I've, his. I've said it all along that Cora will get hired back before what's his name, uh, the Houston manager. Well, you know, he gave all his emails, he gave all his text messages. He was pretty forthright, and uh, you know, apparently he was a much different guy when he was with the Red Sox than he was with the Astros. So I don't know, but uh, all right. Cheap. So <laughs> so let's uh, we're, we're going to go back and examine the excellent series by Joe Posnanski, the, the Baseball 100. And uh, Tom, you picked a name out of the hat, sort of, so to speak. Yeah. Maybe you can tell me why you picked this guy. But at number 66, uh, we get the venerable lefty Steve Carlton. And uh, maybe you want to begin with this. Yeah. Um, so Carlton, in my mind, has always been a very interesting character. And this article kind of plays out the fact that he's a very complicated guy, first yeah. of all. Um, but he's kind of a disagreeable guy a lot i don't think there's a lot of people that love steve carlton that uh, you know out there it's kind of well, like the yeah. same thing what that jordan had but to like to the ninth degree because carlton was a guy who throughout his career uh throughout his hall of fame career um intermittently spoke to the press sometimes he talked to them sometimes he didn't there was like no rhyme or reason to it so one time he stopped talking to the press because of how they handled a, a, one of his teammates. It had nothing to do with him, but he was like so pissed. Um, you know, basically, you're talking about a farm boy um, who lived and grew up in isolation and, and felt most at home in isolation. And so when they asked him you know, a little while ago, do, does he regret being kind of the disagreeable guy that didn't speak to the press? And he said, absolutely not, that he believed that that helped him in the latter part of his career, play better without the distractions of having to deal with the press. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think that one of the biggest legacies of his career is the fact that he just had such a terrible relationship with the press. Yeah. But I guess the press was a lot different in those days because, you know, you don't have the Internet. The newspapers are really the only coverage that these guys are getting, and these – you know, baseball writers had a lot of power and a lot of times they would let their personal feelings come out in the way that they yeah. covered these guys. They had grudges. And uh, that, that, guy, grudges Con that guy Conklin on in the road for Philadelphia was that guy that you're talking about. And later it turned out that Conklin was a pederast and then committed suicide after the fact. And so I'm sure Carlton takes great pleasure in that because Conklin was a real thorn in his side. Well, yeah, he was. And, and I don't blame him for not wanting to talk to the press. You know, um, you know, and again, every professional athlete understands that there's a bargain you strike. 
that you have to allow these guys access to you and your thoughts and your feelings. That's right. They're going to be in the locker room. Sometimes they're going to be women. You know what I mean? And you just you have to shut your mouth and and deal with it. And uh, you can't complain. Uh, but Carlton certainly made his feelings known. And, you know, the fact that he is a Hall of Fame pitcher, I'm looking, I've got his baseball reference page up. You know, he had years that were just incredible. He had, the, he had the greatest year ever, if you think about it from a pitcher. He, he On a team that won 59 games, he won 27 or 28 of those games. 27 and 10 he was that year with a 197. And they won 59 pitcher. as a team? You yeah. won almost half of your team's games? Yeah. Has that ever happened? Has that no. ever happened? <laughs> no, I don't think it has. And he did it in 346 innings. I mean, come on. Right. He was lefty. I mean, he really yep. was. You you could make a case that Carlton was the greatest left-handed pitcher of all time. You know, uh, he's up there with Lefty Grove. He's yep. up there with uh, with with all the best. With Warren Spahn, you know, he he with Koufax, you know, uh, he he really is one of the best of all time. And what's interesting too is he forced the St. Louis Cardinals to trade him. I know. I know. Rick Wise, I know. why? Right. My God. Because Augie Cardinals- Bush thought that Carlton was a complete asshole. Yeah. That's why. And that's yeah. that's part of the reason what I'm talking about is the fact that he he was a just a complicated guy who was not beloved. And he could have been. But part of him felt like the way for me to be successful is to be this gigantic dick about things. And and, and he succeeded at it, I thought. Uh, you know, he, I, it, he, it, he had some salary disputes with Bush. He wanted one point sixty five thousand dollars a year. Yeah. yeah. And Bush refused to pay him, and he forced him to trade. You know, he and, forced the GM who kept yeah. putting him off. Every time Bush brought it up, hey, get rid of this guy. He's like, oh yeah, sure, sure. And finally, Bush said, get rid of him. I'm serious. And, and so, yeah. for something like that to happen to a premier pitcher, really speaks pretty ill of, of Carlton. Yeah. But I thought the funniest story is the Tim McCarver Hall of Fame story when McCarver got up at the Hall of Fame and said, listen, I caught for some of the greatest pit- pitchers that ever lived, but I'm telling you, Steve Carlton had the best had the best slider that I've ever caught and the best curveball I ever caught. And then later, Bob Gibson takes McCarver aside and says, the second best curveball you ever second caught. Second best, man. Because That's even right. Gibson recognized that that Carlton may have had the greatest slider that any pitcher's ever thrown, at least in the modern era, for sure. Well, and just imagine if they had kept, if the Cardinals had kept right, Carlton. Right, if they right, had, oh, right, my God. Right. They would have won so many more championships. You know, he's traded basically in 72. So Gibson, I think that's either Gibson's last year or his second to last year. For Rick but, Wise. For Rick Wise. I mean, who? Rick, you know, Rick Wise was a great time, pitcher. Was a, was a great pitcher. pitcher. Rick Wise at the time was one of, I think, the only pitcher who had won in every, he'd beaten every single major league team, which yeah. was kind of an unusual thing. And he had some great moments, you know, Wise yeah. did. But, Wise but he wasn't football. Steve Carlton. No, no, no. <laughs> that I was mean, a bad trick. You know, and he would just live on that outside corner to right-handed hitters, and they could not hit that slider. He would make these guys look terrible, you know. So, all right. Uh, so there'll be professional baseball played this year tom um where's that it'll be played in korea south korea and it'll be played in taiwan um well they're not going to play it in north korea not going to play it in north korea you know they're trying to sort things out with their president beloved president so you know uh great as in large 
Yeah, exactly. I think that would be actually, that's what North Korea needs. They need to start playing baseball. A culture that lacks baseball, obviously is completely bankrupt morally. Yeah. So, but, uh, but you know, the, the KBO is getting started and there's some familiar names and some familiar faces. And uh, what I wanted to ask you, Tom, is what's the team that you're, uh, that you're kind of supporting? Are you going to follow the KBO and who's your favorite team? Yeah, well, I, 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 the Tigers obviously are my my favorite team. If if, if that is the I know you, I think you like the Deuce and Bears. Deuce and Bears. I'm a total front runner, but the Bears are a cub. You know, it's it's like the Cubs have grown up and moved to South Korea. But uh, Doosan, the Doosan Bears, they're last year's champions. Th- that's my favorite team. So. I, I like the Kia Tigers. The Kia Tigers. Yeah. Do you own a Kia, Tom? Do you do you? Are no, you, no, I only buy, I, I, this is weird. I only buy American cars because I uh, grew up in Detroit. I will not buy a foreign car. That's right. That's right. I, I actually, now that you mention it, I do remember that about you. Well, good for you, Tom. Yeah. Good for you. But, I'm, uh, I'm but, a patriotic Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's going to be kind of fun watching what goes on. And, you know, some of the names that uh, you may recognize, Aaron Altair, is an outfielder with the no, NC No, Dino, no I don't. No, I you don't. don't remember? <laughs> um, Tyler Saladino is out there. You know him. Tyler you Saladino. Know. I think he played in the Italian League. He played for the White Sox. Oh, I thought he. I thought he played for the God. The name of the nickname is the Godfathers in Italy. Yeah. Uh, oh, one okay. of the Italian okay. teams. No, he plays for the Samsung Lions. Um, and I'm looking through this list that they provided in the Athletic, and there's not. Uh, there's nobody else I know offhand, but yeah. each each team can have up to three foreigners. And there used to be a rule that if two if you played two of them, you had to sit the third one. So if you had three foreigners on your team and you played two of them, you had to sit the third. You couldn't couldn't bring them in the lineup. So, yeah. And, you know, and that's a league where you can't sneak that one in. No, <laughs> you can't do a Bobby Valentine. No, you can't. They, they, you know, but they've done away with that rule. So now the, the foreigners can play. So well, I'm going to try. I mean, they were trying. ESPN was trying to negotiate a deal to show some of these games. But apparently that fell through. I'm going to try to keep up. It's going to be tough you know, half a world away, but, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of desperate for anything at this exactly. point. Exactly. That's, that's what happens when there's a dearth of real baseball. Yeah. So, uh, now I, I wanted to mention this, the Detroit Tigers and the yeah. Colorado Rockies, right. these are two teams that have recently kind of been at the bottom of their respective divisions, but right now they are leading the world in, uh, compassion and humanity as they have, announced that they will continue to play their pay their employees for as long as they can continue to do it until money runs out basically right and i think they've distinguished themselves among the rest of the major league teams who some of whom have yet to really announce anything i mean the cubs have said they're going to pay their guys through to the end of may but nothing beyond that these are this is a good thing that these two teams are doing and you should be proud of your hometown team not just that, but um, I had no. I always knew that the old man, Mike Illich, yeah. was very benevolent, um, yeah. and I was fearful that when he passed and his kids took over, that they would tighten in the reins of that benevolence. And it appears that's not really the case. Chris Illich, uh, who is the managing partner or whatever that runs it for the family, 
is is just as benevolent as his father. And uh, what's interesting about both of these owners, uh, and to be commended, is that they did it immediately. This wasn't yeah. something that they were shamed into or contemplated for a long time and said, oh, okay, we'll pay, cover this. Immediately they said, we're taking care of our people. And I think that speaks volumes about the Tigers. And as a Tiger fan, I hope that attracts more players coming to the team. Because quite honestly, like you said, they these are two terrible teams, but the Tigers are much worse than Colorado. The Tigers have averaged 103 losses the last three seasons. That's I know that's that's very untiger like. The Sparks must be rolling over in his grave. That must be tough for you. It really must yeah. be. I mean, uh, well, I don't speak, I don't talk about it so much because you know I've got the Cubs. Like yeah. I said, the Tigers are my wife. The Cubs is, is my mistress. They're your mistress. All right. So um, there's been some movement in New York as J Rod, Jennifer yeah. Lopez, and Alex Rodriguez. They're making a bid to buy the New York Mets, and they, it looks like they may be getting it at a discount. You know, uh, the, the Wilpon family has been trying to sell the team for quite some time. Um, and I think the value of the team, certainly in the face of their uh, crosstown rivals, the Yankees, is not, you know, they, they're not worth as much as the Yankees. They're still worth an incredible amount of money. I think they're worth a little less now with the coronavirus, and maybe J-Rod. Uh, can get a deal because, uh, you know, they collectively, I think, are worth about $900 million, nothing to sneeze at. They'd probably have to get some uh, leverage to buy the team but uh, and some financing. but And, uh, and some partners, too. Yeah. But, that, and they'll be able to get partners. There's no question about that. But uh, do you think this is good for the Mets and is it good for baseball? I, I you know, Whenever I hear A-Rod talk, I'm just taken by just how, how dumb he sounds. Even though he may he may really kind of know what he's doing, i got to give him credit. This is a pretty ambitious play by him. And according it to is. the New York Post, it, this, is, this isn't any more or less legitimate than the, the other half dozen attempts to buy the Mets over the last few years. And the Wilpons have actually been in the room to sign the deal a couple of times and then they it, for whatever reason it's fallen through so one thing i will tell you is i don't believe anything about the new mets ownership until the ink is dry because well, we've been uh, down this road many times before but why well, not them why not them because i could envision a rod passing away and jennifer lopez becoming like this marge shot type of owner when she gets old you know bringing her little dog to the park and you know yeah. carrying carrying blow darts with her in her purse. <laughs> you know, it'll be interesting. They probably would be able to use a, what is it, Citibank Field? You know, as a yeah. concert venue. That's what it's J-Lo. called now. You know? I don't know. It, 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 it's it's about be to be called Lysol Field. <laughs> it'll be an interesting uh, acquisition. I kind of hope it happens. The yeah. Mets are always interesting in terms of just, they're, they've just really been a clown car. You know these last few years, Without you know, but but interesting things kind of happen with the Mets, you know, and uh, they're always worth following. So they're not so cut and dry like the New York Yankees, where it's just right. all business, all excellence. I mean, the the, the Mets are sort of like a, an episode of Seinfeld, you know. Right. Not just that, but you know, this is a small point, but it's important. A Rod, when you hop the fence from the Yankees to the Mets, the Yankees will never let you forget it. No, they never. won't. They it's won't. like it's like its own little Union Confederate war that's goes on there. Yeah. You you just you just crossed a line you shouldn't have as far as they're concerned. So, 
All right, so uh, let's move on to Louisville Slugger. This is the venerable bat company in yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. They have had to shut their doors, and they've had to furlough 170 employees as no one is buying any bats right now. And this is a hard time for, for an old, old company that, that has had a long association with the game. I mean, I'm sure you have had bats made by Louisville Slugger. I'm yeah. sure I've, I swung them when I was in Little League. Right, you know, right. It was, uh, I mean, it, it's sad to hear this. But it, it is, and, and they did attempt to help out with the effort, but apparently they couldn't figure out how to make a wooden ventilator. Yeah. <laughs> now they have to make wooden coffins. No, I kid, I kid, I kid. But I kid, but, yeah. But, yeah. but it, it's the thing about Louisville Slugger is they're the first to say, we're going to get through this. It's going to be painful. But they've had to live through that in world, you know, in world yeah. wars in the past. Louisville Slugger's been around, so I, I feel bad for them, but I kind of don't feel bad for them in the sense that other businesses are not going to be so lucky or they're not going to be as buoyant as the wooden uh, Louisville Slugger. Oh man, I, I it is. I mean, it's sad, but you're right. I think I, hopefully they'll come through. I mean, you need bats made. It used to be that all the bats in in the major leagues were probably made by Louisville Slugger. That's not the case now. But oh uh, right, right. But 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 you're also talking about a company that not only do they supply major leaguers with bats, they they're doing it for minor league players and you know for players all over the place. So you know. And as we learned, unlike baseballs, the bats don't really change. No, they don't. They don't unless you unless you doctor them like Sammy Sosa did. But uh, right. that's that's Thanks another story. that up. All right. So um, David Wells and Kurt Schilling yeah. have been sniping at one another. Or I like to call Twitter. them Yin Yang. <laughs> These are not the most likable guys. You know what I mean? Well, Wells uh, is is way more likable than Schilling is, though. I, I'm sorry. Perhaps, perhaps, yes. I did see once. I I saw David Wells win a playoff game. For the Cincinnati Reds, uh, way, I way also back. believe that Wells could kick Schilling's ass too. Maybe Do you not really now. believe that? Oh yeah, yeah. And hey, because Wells was like this Babe Ruthian character. You know, he, he at one point I thought Wells would be taken by the Yankee fans much like Ruth was because he lived life so large, like eating six yeah. hot dogs and all that kind of stuff before games. He was. He was very much larger than life, and I'll bet you in a in a prize fight, it, it, usually guys like that win the fights if they're evenly matched in power and ability. Schilling had more athletic ability, but I think Wells would would have beat him. Well, talk about the Twitter controversy. What happened? So um, somebody they said, okay, now with this downtime, we're just going to throw this question out there, all major leaguers out there, which player on your team now can you say you really hated? And David Wells's one word response. Schilling. <laughs> and then and Schilling then, found and, out about and, it. And then Schilling comes back on Twitter and says, you could at least have tagged me, you punk. Yeah. You cow, <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, you know, this is this is what amounts to a news story, you know, in right, 2020. Right. Exactly. exactly. You know, but, uh, but, you know, this is what you have to deal with. I mean, these are both guys that I guess I like David Wells. Uh, hey, David Wells won over 200 major league games. He's not, he's not, he's not a minor baseball character, but Schilling, as we've talked about, I dislike the guy immensely, but I believe he should be in the hall of fame. He, he, he's, he was better than Wells. He's better than Wells. It, it pains me to say it, but, but he was better than Wells. Well, you know, I'd still probably, yeah, you're right. He is better than Wells. I still would rather have Wells on my team. Me too. 
I would rather drink with Wells than Schilling. With me and yeah. Schilling, it would turn into a fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All when right, start so... Uh, Nazi shit in here, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Vin Scully, the yeah. uh, broadcaster for the, uh, now retired, for the Los Angeles Dodgers, he is uh, in the hospital, actually, recovering from... He's home home. now. Came home last night. He's home now? Okay, good. Well, um, and I'm glad that, you know, we're... we're, So often when you hear about something related, you know, medically to anybody, you always... uh, I'm just glad that it's not the coronavirus in this case. Well, not just that, but he's the greatest living broadcaster. Let's not kid ourselves. No, he is. He is. There's just no... No other way of saying it. Um, and and I was I'm slightly nervous because he's 92 years old and there's, there's a coronavirus. But the fact is, men cannot fall at that age. All, it it all ends up badly. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you start to fall, for or whatever bone reason, breaks, and an infection sets in, and you just never recover from it, no matter yeah. how strong you think you are. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's why it's good to see 96 year old Jimmy Carter. Um, the other day, he's basically ha- is in like a slight little wheelchair thing now. But he, the guy, the spirit in that guy is absolutely remarkable. It really is the greatest ex-president of all yeah. time. You know, uh, but I, you know, I, I really do hope that uh, that uh, you know Vin Scully recovers quickly. Me too. And uh, you know, you, you were saying that he is the greatest living uh, broadcaster, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, you go back and you listen to his work, you know, we're getting a lot of these uh, famous games from the past. He's just wonderful. Oh, there's no, he's funny in a really understated way. He really supports what it is you're watching. He never makes himself, you know, the center of attention in the way that like Harry Carey would sometimes do, you know, he is always kind of in the background and it's just the perfect compliment to what it is you're watching, you know, and, uh, you know, when him and him and Har- I think him and Harwell learned from Red Barber, and Red Barber was kind of the first uh, guy, even though he was totally different than Scully and even uh, Ernie Harwell. But Scully and Harwell, you could hardly tell who they were rooting for ever, either yeah. of those guys. Yeah. And occasionally you would get Scully excited, like when Gibson hit that home run, he had every reason to be excited. But I'm telling you, day in and day out with those great announcers, you listen to them, you can't really tell who they root for. That, those are the best. And also the other thing, too, is Scully was a classic radio guy, even more so than a TV guy, because yeah. of because he could fill up air space that you can't really do on television, I don't think. I think on radio, you have to be more uh, flowery in your description of the game, and Scully is is a master. No, he really is. National what treasure. It, what it is, when you, when you mention guys like Harwell and Scully, what I think distinguishes them is that as broadcasters, they did not have a gimmick. They didn't no. have a signature line, hey, hey, or they didn't have, you know. Well, actually, actually, Leo, that, that's not true. Every broadcaster, for example, Harwell's, Harwell, if you watch the third strike, every time said he stood there like the house by the side of the road. Every single time. So he, those, there were single, or the other thing Harwell would do is there's a foul ball hit sharply at the third base side. A young man from Wyandotte caught that ball, and he would just make up the city, like you make up the, the 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 Michigan city. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and Scully, I think you like pull up a chair. Like there was like things that he would say that were that his catchphrases 
Um, but these weren't all gimmicks. These weren't gimmicks. These were carefully crafted ways that he would connect to the audience. Okay. The seventh inning stretch with Carey was as much about promoting him and uh, promoting Wrigley Field and promoting kind of an atmosphere as opposed to, I don't know, providing something, a connection for a fan like you, you know, I don't know. That's just, that's just me for, that's my two cents. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's funny that, 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 that carry clip is, is become, well, they, they're now playing it pretty much all the time at Wrigley field. When are. it first happened, I was like, you know, they're letting this drunk run wild. That's yeah. my, that was my reaction to it. Like, they are. He's, he's doing whatever he wants to do. He's going to take off. Carey had some bad outfield. years. He had some bad years at the end of his career. You know, I can't say that about Harwell. Harwell was sharp right to the end. Oh, that's correct. That's correct. And, and so Vince Scully. Scully. And Vince Scully. <laughs> yeah. They were they were as as good you know as good as they'd ever been. Right. And uh, you know you have to recognize that kind of quality. And it's the same thing with Marty Brennerman, you know, who is another old school type of broadcaster. And uh, these guys are going to be missed because what you really have now is a lot of these kind of corporate blow dried sort of you know, never say anything controversial broadcasters. And it's just, it, it's not like it used to be. It really is. They're milk toast. They are. There's just nothing interesting about any of them, you know? So a couple of weeks ago, Leo, we talked about Steve Delkowski. I, I can't believe we're about to talk about him again. What yeah. happened? Well, Steve Delkowski appeared on my favorite players list uh, in The Athletic. Uh, part of another series that they're doing. And, you know, Delkowski is, is, is basically known for being one of the hardest throwers who ever lived. Now, he never made the major leagues, uh, basically because the year that they were going to bring him up, the Orioles were going to bring him up, he hurt his arm, and he never really recovered from it. And, uh, you know, but he died from, I think it was uh, alcohol-related dementia yeah. in a nursing home, you know. Where um, he, where he, was, he died at age 80. He entered the nursing home at age 54. Get out of here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's kind Man. of a it's kind of a, a haunting tale. But you're right. Ted Williams said it was the hardest thrower he ever faced. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of major leaguers to a man will say that nobody threw harder than Delkowski. And I think it's important that we kind of maybe remember some of the things that he accomplished in 1960, uh, playing for Stockton, California, in the California League. In 170 innings, he struck out 262 hitters. He also walked I know. 262 hitters. That's amazing. That is right. it's just extraordinary. That, he, that you know, tells you why he didn't pitch in the major leagues right yeah, there. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but uh, he was supposedly the inspiration for the uh, Nuke Lelouch character in the movie Bull Durham yes. that, that Ron Shelton sort of you know, uh, was inspired to create Nuke Lelouch uh, based on Steve Delkowski and some of his efforts. And and I'll tell you that, uh, you know, some of the, like there's that scene early in the movie where Nuke has his first outing, you know, and the manager says, he struck out 19. He walked 19. You know, all new league records. And that was the pitcher that Delkowski was. He he would have games like that. You know? So. Yeah, it was kind of kind of a sad character, and uh, rest in peace, Mr. Steve Delkowski. Uh, and you know, the other thing is too that they really, you know, the the author of the athletic piece searched and searched and searched, and could not find any film of Delkowski pitching. 
which was unusual. I did have his I, I did have his rookie prospect baseball card. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, you did tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, God, can you imagine if we still had it? That would be worth something it, today. It was those glasses, yeah. man. Those prison issue glasses you wore that made him stick out. Yep, yep. All right, so let's talk about the Chicago Cubs. Um, I see where Ian Happ, Zach Short, Dakota Max, and Nico Horner. They're all sheltering in place at Ian Happ's place in uh, in Arizona. They're working out together. They're playing tennis together. They're playing golf. I guess they can play golf together. I, I guess they can't. And they're just kind of... Is this one of these Tiger King deals? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> and they're sort of letting the world know what they're doing as they uh, as uh, Ian Happ is uh, podcasting about it. You know, and uh, what he says, and he's also our representative at the MLB at the show video tournament that's going on right now. Yeah. So they're keeping busy. I'm glad for them. They're keeping healthy. I'm sure they're eating well. They're cooking. You know what I thought was funny in this piece is that uh, that uh, that Hap said how tough it is to podcast, you know, how hard it is to come up with content. And I think that's something that you and I can kind of uh, sympathize with. Well, exactly. Yes. And um so I didn't get I'm glad you told me about this because I didn't get to read the article because I've reached my monthly limit uh, at the Sun Times. And they're, I'll be damned if I'm subscribing to that uh, that <laughs> yellow, that yellow rag. No, just kidding. I love I love the Sun Times. The Sun Times is like it's like a it's like the Harry S. Truman of newspapers. No way, man. No it, way. It, it's no very. Way. No, I mean that complimentary. I, I mean that like it's very plain speaking, very. Um, I, you know, underrated, I guess, but but there's just there's no way I'm subscribing to these n- newspapers when I can read about it for free. So there you go, there you go. But uh, but I you know I love the Sun Times. I I will always pick it up before I pick up the Tribune. Um, I subscribe to the Sun Times, and uh, you know so. Well, the Sun Times regrets the year. Yeah, <laughs> I do use that periodically when I make a mistake online. But uh, so in other know, words, weekly. Look, they have one of they have one of my favorite writers in Neil Steinberg. Yeah. And you know, and I think that they cover what happens in the city a hell of a lot better than the Tribune ever did. You know, but now we're in an era where newspapers are really kind of dying a very slow death, and we may have to face life moving forward without either the Sun Times or the Tribune, which would be a great tragedy for this city. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. I one of them has to stick around, but uh, um, so yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to read it, but I, but good for those four. Um, and uh, let's get some baseball in at some point, hopefully. All right, so uh, our next little topic here is uh, what I wanted, what I asked Tom to do, and, and what I'm going to do too, is that we want to recall kind of a favorite memory uh, about the Chicago Cubs or at Wrigley Field. Something that uh, happened to you, something you saw, something that, uh, I don't know, something that really blew you away. Maybe you want to begin? Uh, sure. So my uh, my favorite moment at a Cubs game happened on my birthday, April 23rd, 1986. Oh, wow. 1986. Yeah. I wasn't living in Chicago then. Yeah. I yeah, was right? uh, working, selling. I was a very young man, uh, selling advertising space. Um and I worked basically with an all-female crew. And they were, we were all about the same age, and we were all friendly with each other, not in a romantic way, but kind of in a, uh, Just a, a way brotherly, sisterly kind of way. Yeah. And so for my birthday, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea of this, 
they um, arranged it so we would be able to go to the game. All of them took me to the game. We were wow. sitting in a special uh, section in the outfield, which is something place that I normally did not like to sit, but with them it was fine. Um, and all I know is I woke up the next day in my studio apartment, which was, you know, not that far away from the ballpark, and they were all sleeping in my studio, like all of us together <laughs> on the floors and the couches. And I reached a point where I'm like, I don't even remember like a block of like six or seven hours are there. Are, <laughs> What happened? I know we were laughing a lot, and then whoa, I, you know. Well, um, that that, that, so that was my favorite memory. It was just a perfect day with great people, and we laughed our asses off. That's all I have to say. That's awesome. And it had to be a day game because it was '86. Yes. You know, totally that's before night baseball. Totally. My favorite, uh, or the Cubs memory that I'm going to talk about this week, and we'll probably do this in weeks to come. This this is something that happened in 2016, and it happened this this past week. And that was the Jake Arrieta no-hitter. Oh, yeah. That happened in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I was down there visiting my parents. Uh, I bought tickets to the game. I invited a friend of mine from high school, Andy Berghausen, who's also the assistant Hamilton County prosecutor. Uh, so who happens to be the assistant? This is a guy who investigates uh, corruption in, in the Cincinnati area. Really great guy. And he and I saw the game. There was hardly anybody there. It was an early. Right. I remember that. Early part of the season. The Reds, everybody knew they were going to be awful. They, the announced crowd was, I think, 16,000. There, there weren't 16,000 people. And the reason, why, the reason why is because ESPN started breaking into that game that night because obviously Ariadna was, was closing in on a no-hitter and they were making some serious comment. That's where I think I told you, like, hey, it did not make Cincinnati look pretty no, good no, that, no. that there's that many not. empty seats. It's not even close to that what that the, what people paid to go in. There were many, many, many more Cubs fans than Reds fans there that day. And the few Reds fans, we were sitting next to a few Reds fans, you know, kind of the row behind us, and they all stayed to see the no-hitter, you know. But I tell you, I was really, really fired up. I was in the front row of the upper deck, and, uh, you know, I remember like it was yesterday. It was just an amazing game. They won 16 to nothing. You know, Chris Bryant had, like, two home runs and a double. He had a crazy day. You know, did, he was did, just, did Arietta homer as well? He may very well have. And it seemed like Arietta would homer all the time, you know, in 2015 and 2016. You know, he was a great hitter. Uh, for a pitcher, right? You know? And uh, it was just such a, just a fun game to go to. I'm really glad I saw it. And um, you know, uh, it was it. You know, I had a no hitter taken away from me when Andy Hawkins no hitter against the White Sox, where the Yankees lost due to two errors by Jesse Barfield and uh, Jim Laritz lost a game. Mm -hmm. It was taken away because he didn't pitch the ninth inning. Right. Because the he, they weren't the you know he wasn't. Uh, because the White Sox were the home team. So that no-hitter was taken away from me. I saw that live, and the commissioner said, nope, it's not a no-hitter. So this really, I think, was, uh, for me, a real moment of redemption. I was glad to see the Cubs do it, you know. So that's pretty good. And based on time constraints, we got to go right to our classic movie today. All uh, right. And so you picked an absolute gem, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> basically on everyone's top 10 comedy list of all time. Why don't you give us the intro to the great blazing, the great, the Mel Brooks masterpiece. If Blaze. you, if you've never seen this movie, 
Okay. And I'm talking to, to both of our listeners out there. <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, you need to see it. And, yeah. and you need to understand why Mel Brooks is such a comic genius. Because when you look at this movie, there's absolutely how this movie was able to be made, how this movie passed the censors, how yeah. anybody can watch this movie without grabbing pitchforks and torches and demanding that Mel Brooks be burned in effigy is just amazing. That he can get away with using all of these racial stereotypes and they're still funny as hell, you know? It, it, he it, makes it, fun of everybody. This film, um, which came out in 74, um, was perfectly timed. So really in late 69, I want to say, I remember this very vividly, a, a show came on television on CBS that was so beyond the pale. It was a show called All in the Family. Yes. And it was it, immediately it was an instant hit. But it was so controversial that even to this day, that when they run episodes of the show, it's, you know, they have to run 400 disclaimers yeah, that, like, you know, it was so politically incorrect yeah. um, that it wasn't even funny. That kind of set the table because, like you said, this film, at the when they first took it to the studios, the studio says, no, you got to get the N-word out of there. You got to get that whole scene about farting. You got to take that out of there, you know, and Mel Brooks would just kind of smile and laugh and think to himself, well, I've got final edit in part yeah. of my contract. I'm not changing anything. And to his credit, credit, he did it. What's remarkable about this film is you couldn't make a film like this today. No, no. You couldn't. But when it was made, which with its budget was $2.6 million, when it was shown to the studio heads, nobody laughed. There was like 14 of them in the room. And then Mel said, let me show it to the rank and file workers here. And they laughed nonstop. Well, yeah. the film made $120 million off of a 2.6 million budget. At the time, the one of the 10th film to eclipse 100 million in box office, it was a smash hit and theaters were packed with it. I saw it in the drive-in and in the drive-in, the, the laughter was uproarious. Now I watched it yesterday afternoon and I laughed out loud a bunch of times, but it wasn't as uproarious as it was in the 70s. Like it's dated slightly, but it there's, is. The great Harvey Corman, that all yeah. I, and Madeline Kahn. Yeah. Oh my God, she it's, steals that movie. Madeline yeah. Kahn left us way too soon. She yeah. was she was comedy flipping gold. Yeah. Uh, she she may steal the movie. Yeah. I don't know. Gene Wilder's pretty damn good too. Um, <laughs> And my favorite, Slim Pickens, who basically was a cowboy type of guy. During, at night when they were making, shooting that film, he actually had a campfire and would sit around it with his shotgun in his lap, you know, looking at the, at the, at the midnight sky. Well, you know, there's so many lines in that movie that I would love to just repeat here on the podcast. Well, we but we can't. But we can't. We can't. <laughs> you have to go see the movie. You know, whether whether it's, you know, uh, using all of the cliches about black guys having big cocks right, or whatever, right. you know, it, it just everything they do is just so it's so no, just so no, no today. It's so forbidden, yeah. it's, you know, it's pretty and taboo. it really is. But he gets away with it and he does it, I think, with a lot of style. And you're right. The two essential. Well, actually, there are three, I think, essential 
pieces to the movie, and that's Harvey Corman, Madeline Kahn, Gene Wilder, and I think also maybe you might want to, we might want to include Cleavon Little. No, Cleavon Little was great. He was great. He was the, that Richard Pryor was supposed to get that role, but yeah. he 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 pissed off the studio, and the studio said we're not bankrolling it with him. So Pryor actually got a writing credit in the film uh, because he came up with the Mongo character. Believe ah, I did not so, know that. Way yeah, to go. Yeah. A little research yeah. there. The other thing that's interesting, I love Mel Brooks. To this day, I love him. There was a great scene uh, uh, about a month ago where his son, Max Brooks, went up to the window of wherever Mel Brooks is, and they put yeah. his hand on the window because of the coronavirus. Well, Max was born when this film was being made. His wow. son, Max, was born when Blazing Saddles was being made. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But the Brooks, to this day... And maybe not recently, because he really is getting up there. And but he used to, he, well into his 80s, would go to when they would play this film in in Los Angeles. He would go in the theater and just sit in the back and what just to watch everyone laugh at it. And he would get the biggest kick out of it. That's great. So, yeah. Well, I mean, he made some amazing comedies. If you look at the, his career, I yeah. mean, Blazing Saddles, I think, is probably up there. The producers, I think, is also. One of the funniest movies that's ever been made. It, it may it may be one maybe one of the two or three funniest. It's funniest. funnier than Blazing Saddles. Actually. It, is, it is in many ways. You know, Young Frankenstein is right. really funny and an underrated movie, a movie that nobody knows about, a movie that you can get on YouTube and watch for free. The Twelve Chairs. That oh, wait, movie. Oh no, is, I saw The Twelve Chairs when I was a kid. Well, I mean, but not a lot of people have seen it. Right. That movie is so funny. That's one of the. Uh, that is a comedy. That's the funniest movie that no one has ever seen. You know, I, I, you know, I, I like one of his wor movies that's generally considered one of his worst movies, and that's High Anxiety, which really? I, when I saw in the theater as a kid, I just it just killed me. The, certain scenes by him, they're so slapstick. You watch it today and you don't even laugh at it, but when you're 14, it's when the you're 14, thing, it right? crushes you. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the the beauty of Blazing Saddles is that it will live on for the ages, right? I mean, no matter how politically incorrect it is, you can't take it away. And that's why if you really break it down of the top comedy film lists, it's in every single one of them. Yeah. And so yeah. And that was a great choice. And so I have a choice for next week. Oh, looking forward to hearing this. All right. It's the it's the Alfred Hitchcock classic Rear Window. Ooh. From Ooh. 1954. That's a strong choice, Tom. Starring strong Jimmy choice. Jimmy Stewart. Oh, and the most, and, and just the ravishing Grace Kelly. Yes. Yeah. So All right, it. so until next week, we are Two Peas in a Podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly And play the fight lowly Play the dead march As they carry me along Put bunches of roses all over my coffee. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall. 